Coming up, today's guest is none other than Eric Sufert, who is the author of Premium Economics and editor of the popular mobile blog, Mobile Dev Memo. This is the exact interview from our very first App Masters Virtual Summit in 2018, where Eric shares why there's a shift to programmatic targeting, the types of apps in the top grossing charts, and what types of games can adopt a subscription based model. All that and so much more. The most action-packed content from the top mobile experts. This is the App Masters Podcast with Steve P. Young. Get unlimited content for your blog or company for just one low monthly price. Sign up and get your first article for free with our 14-day money-back guarantee. Learn more at copymasters.co. For just one low monthly price, you will discover our greatest growth hacks to driving massive downloads. You can learn more on appmastersacademy.com. What is up, App Masters Virtual Summit attendees? Welcome to this actual seminar module, whatever you want to call it. Today, I've got somebody I got to talk to a couple of years back now, really a big name in the mobile space. He's got a fantastic book that's been recommended to me plenty of time. It is called Freemium Economics. You can find that on Amazon, but let me introduce him today. His name is Eric Sufert. He's a mobile marketing and analytics executive who has spent nearly a, dec a decade for mobile consumer technology companies coming from Skype to Rovio and his own company, and now Network, where he leads platform efforts. Eric joined Network through the acquisition of his own company called Amagon. How do you say that, Eric? Agamemnon. Agamemnon, which was a mobile user acquisition analytics platform. He is the author of what I just told you about freemium economics. You got to check out that particular book. It's an analytical guide to the freemium business model published in 2014. And he's got an amazing blog that a lot of people point to. It is called Mobile Dev Memo, mobiledevmemo.com. Eric, did I miss anything? Anything you want to add to no. that background? No, that's it. Dude, congratulations on everything. How does it feel to sell the company? Uh, it's a little bit bittersweet, I guess. I mean, um, it's a cool feeling to to join um, you know, a company that's exploding in growth as, uh, as network was and still is. Mm -hmm. Um, and to join a team of, of really great people. Um, but it's always sad to kind of, uh, you know, to, to, to not be your own boss anymore. And, and also to kind of, um, I'd say, uh, you know, to, to end that entrepreneurial journey. Um, you know, everybody, when they start their own company, has ambitions of, you know, uh, ringing the, the bell on the NASDAQ or something. Um, and you know, you realize when you sell that, that that's not going to happen, but, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, you kind of trade in, um, you know, what you've been doing on your own for the opportunity to work with, you know, hopefully amazing people and on, on products that are, um, are great and to sort of join a system where the, the whole is bigger than the sum of its parts. And that's, that's an awesome feeling. And, and that definitely was what I got out of joining network. Very cool. Very cool. So let's get into straight into the content a little bit because you've got some amazing experience with Woonga, Rovio. 
So let's talk about shifting the shift to programmatic targeting and just campaign management in general. Sure. Yeah. Let's do it. Go for it. Like, where 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 can we start? Because that's something that I know nothing about. Okay. uh, Sure. I mean, I think that's um, if you would kind of drop in any sort of of these like growth conferences that have, um, you know, cropped up all over the world, you definitely hear this mentioned on almost every panel. Um, You had basically Google around a year ago announced that all of their um, channels would, all the channels that you could advertise on um, individually would be rolled up into one like Uber channel called uh, UAC, which UAC existed before, but basically the announcement was that they were rolling YouTube and AdWords into that. Um, which meant that you wouldn't be able to bid specifically on traffic on those channels that, but, but rather you would sort of give UAC some like, um, guidance and UAC would decide where to, to, um, distribute your budget. Right. So they would kind of decide which channels to advertise on for you. Um, which caused a lot of, you know, concern and consternation at first, because I mean, you know, marketing people are analytical and they, they feel like generally the the sentiment was that you know hey i should be able to decide where to deploy my money because i have all the infrastructure i have all this sort of like um you know analysis tools to 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 be able to to best understand where my money is most effective and i don't like the idea that google is going to do that for me because they are maybe not incentivized to optimize my budget um they're maybe incentivized to just spend it all right um and so that was, I would say that that was uh, kind of controversial, and most I would say most people were um, pretty negative towards it. And now I think the sentiment has definitely changed um, because people are just seeing that it's, it's more effective. Um, you know, they're getting better results, and it also, you know, uh, this is I don't want to like you know over, you know contribute to this cliche being overused, but it's sort of like democratized access to mobile marketing because you know you if you're a small company and you've got maybe one marketing person or maybe even the CEO is the marketing person, like it's really difficult to do all the kind of analysis you need to do to optimize spend and just to, you know, just sort of like, you know, com- compose a budget or to, to analyze, um, analyze performance. But with UAC, I mean, it, it basically takes away the need to build a team to run on Google because you just basically feed it, you know, some creative, you feed it your budget and then it, it, it does all of that analysis for you. Um, and so you, you do open up the opportunity to, to advertise on mobile and, and not just on mobile, but, you know, across the board. Um, but you know, my, my sort of focus is mobile. You, you get the opportunity to advertise on mobile where you, as you wouldn't have that unless, unless you were able to sort of hire a team. And, and the other thing is like, you know, if you would think about maybe like two years ago, you'd see like the ability to deploy money was kind of scaled linearly with the team size. Well, with UAC and programmatic targeting um, and bidding, um, you, you you could have one person running the team. I mean, you could spend millions with just just there, right? Um, and and Facebook also has uh, you know kind of instituted this sort of like programmatic uh, targeting strategy with um, other bid types. So like they've created like the uh, app event optimization bid type and the value optimization bid type, which essentially do the same thing. They don't. They don't, it's, it's not the same in that it rolls up all the different traffic sources, but it is the same in that, um, these, these bidding types handle bidding and targeting for you. So you don't, 
you get a little bit more, you get more control with AEO and VO, but um, when they're sort of the, the correct way to use it is to just basically say, okay, look, this is global. We're not, we're not, you know, segmenting countries, target everybody, get as much data as you need. And then you decide where, you know, who I should actually be showing my ads to, because you know best, because you can do all the analysis with, um, you know, on the back end with your, you know, machine learning algorithms. And like, t- for me to do that, um, manually is, is much more, you know, cumbersome and, and time consuming. So, um, I think overall it's been a good thing. What is, I guess, unfortunate is that, um, you know, since you don't need a huge team to operate on these channels, you can just sort of hand the keys to Google and Facebook and let them do that for you. I mean, there is less of a need for a big team of uh, campaign managers now. Um, that has sort of been automated away. Uh, on the other side, it's sort of changed the focus of mobile marketing now, I think. To be successful on those platforms now, it's less about um, you know rigorous, uh, diligent campaign management and optimization, and it's more about you know data science and creative experimentation, right? So, like if you've if you if you think about uh, the funnel, you know the very top end being just all the creatives that you push into the funnel, the middle bit being the targeting and the optimization, and then the last bit being you know in app user actions. Well, now the focus has shifted from that middle bit, which is just targeting and optimizing campaigns to, okay, well now let's be um, more experimental and, and, and more sort of like open-minded with the creative that we create. And then it's also like, let's be more um, scientific about how we actually measure the impact of an event that we send back to Google and Facebook and try to measure the um, sort of correlation of that event with, you know, becoming a high spender, becoming like very engaged, subscribing, so this has opened up a lot of opportunities for subscription-based apps and also advertising-based apps because when they, if they are very good about measurement and um, you know doing the the really deep analysis on whatever signal that event provides, then they can actually make UA work for them. Whereas before it was more sort of like IAP-based. Oh, now because I know nothing about this, this is the reason why I love doing these things because I get to learn so much. But UAC because it's Google, it works on iPhone, like it's platform agnostic right yeah yeah sure sure of course yeah okay and then it's just is it just banner ads or search ads or is it just com- cover everything when you talk about everything program it okay and yeah, does it so shift about- away from search ads to like possibly just banner ads or you know pop-up ads well no i mean it's basically all that stuff but it's sort of behind a, a black box right so you don't okay. you don't get to decide like hey i want to only do youtube or i, I want to only do adwords or i only want to do google play search like it just all gets it's just it's one big bucket and all those different channels are included in it I and see. Google decides where to, where to place your budget. Right. Um, and I think the scary thing for that is a lot of the game developers I, you know, speak to, like, I mean, they had horrible experiences on YouTube. Um, it just didn't work. Yeah. And so their worry is, well, Hey, Google's going to send money to YouTube, even just in the experimental phase when it's testing. Right. Cause I mean, these, these, programs they need to they need to just apply money everywhere and just see what what works and then they'll sort of like shift money to the places that work but in that experimental phase it's like well i already know that youtube doesn't work i don't need to test budget there i know um but the thing is google also does a lot of the um creative management too so it's like well okay let you know maybe if if that's part of the uh you know distribution scheme maybe get better at creating the creative that works on youtube and let Google optimize that for you. I mean, that's that's kind of my point. It's like, 
now the marketing focus is like, well, let's be really experimental and um, flexible on the creative creation. So actually, well, if we have no control over the targeting and the placement, let's just actually create creatives that work on YouTube to make it work. Um, but at the same time, I mean, if, if it's not working, Google will deprioritize that and it will shift budget away from that. It's not like they're going to get your money. Now, because the majority of my audience is probably less than teams of less than 20 and sometimes even five, does it, this, when I'm hearing this from you, I'm like, wow, there's a lot of creative that I have to actually create. So how much, like, do I need a video? Do I need banner? Do I need all of this to get started? Uh, I mean, if you're on, on mobile, I don't think banners aren't really, um, I don't want to say like they're irrelevant now, but I, I mean, most of the big advertisers I know are not spending very much on banner. I mean, it, I would say video, you gotta, you gotta make video work. Cause I mean, if you get video, you're talking about all the rewarded networks, you're talking about Facebook, Google, you can, you can basically, you know, you have to resize it. The resolutions are going to be different, but you could, you could be operating across all of those, all of the biggest channels. And so, you know, and you invest in, you know, at the very least a handful of creatives that are high quality and, and look good, then you could you could basically advertise everywhere banner it's more limited the networks that even that even you know accommodate that and they don't work very well and you're generally only able to advertise in sort of like really really high dau sort of like low engagement low monetization apps so i i would probably not start with banner what about what and i guess what i meant with banner and i should have probably phrased it better what about those like interstitials like the pop-ups are those anything in effect anymore or is it just all moving towards video I would I would say I would definitely start with video. Uh, yeah, pop up interstitials they still exist, and you know you, you if you in you know invest in you know decent looking and they're also faster to create too. I mean they're much cheaper to create. Um, so I mean you know if you're if you're really budget constrained, sure I would maybe take a step back and figure out a different strategy. I, I but uh, you know you because you, carousel works fairly well on Facebook and that's static images. So uh, and then you know pop up interstitial statics um still you know exist i mean that's that's not super as common uh, as it was maybe like three years ago but it, they still exist so you would you know you could that's a, that's a viable path i would still focus on video love it the from the video type of content i've heard a lot of great things about gameplay possibly you know i see that a lot in the rewarded videos where it's just like sort of like I forget what the term is, but you see the gameplay and that's all you see. I've heard others who more on like the Facebook side of things, maybe showing some influencers playing the game. What types of video content should we be creating? Yeah. Um, it, I think it's, it's hard to give like a blanket answer there. I think you need to test for your own app. I mean, so like it just, it basically in app uh, footage um, that, that does work really well for games. Um, it may not work so well for like a travel app, uh, cause it's kind of boring to, to see someone searching for like some destination or something. Um, I think it's, it's, so it's going to be app specific. It's going to be app vertical specific. And I think it's also going to be channel specific. So, I mean, we definitely see with Facebook, you have to catch people's attention really quickly. And so I think, you know, if you just scroll through your Facebook feed, I think it's, it's a little bit more rare that you see pure, let, let's just stick to games that you see pure in-game footage, especially at the very beginning you're trying to aim for is like grabbing the engagement in like the first second or two seconds. And so like, it's rare on Facebook that you just see gameplay. It usually is. There's some hook there. It's like, um, you know, 3d rendered cool footage of something that's kind of, uh, taken from the, the game. 
um, or it's you know some you know just just something that's that's really attention grabbing, and then it might transition into gameplay. Um, on Twitter, actually, what you see a lot of, and I don't. Well, anyway, I mean, on Twitter, what you see a lot of is is in this. I don't. I think this is like unethical. I wouldn't do this, but you do see a lot of ads which are like uh, rendered gameplay footage from like something like Assassin's Creed or something. Uh, or just something that's totally not representative of the game, but looks really awesome. It's like 3D rendered stuff. And then you click on it and it's actually like a top down, like, you know, two dimensional RPG or something. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, well this, this, you know, and I, I would even, I would assume that that actually formed that well, because I mean, you might get a lot of click through it, but you're probably not going to get too many installs. Um, so, I mean, yeah, it is, but it's, it's, again, it's just channel specific. Uh, the influencer stuff is, is cool. Like, I mean, that is, I think more geared towards YouTube. But on Facebook, you definitely would see a lot of like, there's a little, um, you know, circle superimposed in the bottom portion of the ad. And it's someone playing the game or it's, it's footage of their hand playing. Um, you, you start to see a lot of that. And that generally performs really well, um, especially at the start, like when you first launch that, because it is kind of eye grabbing. Yeah, that's what I heard. It was just like, hey, being a camera, like imagine a camera right above my shoulder yeah. and then me playing the game and then having that influencer play the game. That's really worked from a CPI perspective too. I love it. So anything we should know from like using these different ad networks, like I know nothing about this, Eric, so I'm really relying yeah. on you to kind of lead me towards this. But anything we should know about like driving traffic from ad networks? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think from the perspective of like a smaller developer. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, just to give some, background i mean i i work for a large developer i mean not in terms of headcount i mean you know but we've got a, a game it's tough to gross and we spend a lot of money right so like our concerns are different um i, I think uh you know and but before when i was building out agamemnon i was also consulting and so i you know i i mean probably consulted for like 30 different companies and it's that and like you know across the spectrum of size um and uh i think like the smallest developers i think the the biggest differentiator I saw between the ones that were successful and the ones that didn't, you know, where things didn't work out was that, you know, it takes, there's, there's two things. One is you've got to have kind of perspective on the entire user experience. It's not just, you can't, you can't silo the um, user acquisition function from the actual product development function. I think those two things need to be united and, and you've really got to understand, okay, well, a, what kind of players are we, what kind of users are we getting? Um, is there an issue with the traffic and the relevance for, for those users of our app? Like, are we just targeting the wrong people? And, and when we see them come in, can we, can we take any cues from the funnel, um, and, and, and use those in the acquisition process to make sure that we're just getting the right people, um, and also assess the potential size of our market. I mean, I think like, it's really easy to get like super, super targeted traffic and get great metrics, um, at a very low level of volume. Um, and I think when you start seeing, you know, downward pressure on those metrics, as you scale minimally, you've got a question, not, not only, Hey, is the UA team good at what they're doing, but also like, is this the right product? And are we chasing a big market? Are there a lot of these people out there? Can we make real money from this? Um, so that's one thing just having that vision, that view across the entire player lifecycle or user lifecycle from the moment they first see the ad to when they're actually in the app spending money. Um, and the second is focus. I think. A lot of teams right out of the gate, they'll say like, hey, look, I, you know, I heard I was at Casual Connect or I was at GDC or I was at some random growth 
uh, conference and they said, you've got to be operating on like 20 networks and that's how the big players are doing it. So we got to do that. And if you've got one person on your team, you're never going to be able to scale that. I would focus on what are the, what are the highest potential sources of traffic? make things work there and then you have like a waterfall system where you just sort of like kind of continue down um that you know that that sort of like uh uh priority funnel um picking up new sources of traffic i don't don't out of the gate try to just launch everywhere i mean I, and i would say focus on facebook and i mean even at the level of no marketing team i mean i think honestly i think the best way to truly grasp to like truly grok the, the mobile app ecosystem and, you know, to, to truly understand the business model of your business, if it's mobile first is for the CEO to, to run Facebook ads before they even make the first marketing hire. Cause that's just so fundamental to the, to your business. Like the CEO really should understand how growth works. Completely agree. It's one of the reasons why I'm like, for my business, I'm like looking at Facebook and I'm like, okay, let me just figure this out before I try to find quote unquote an expert, because otherwise I might just get swindled. Like, I, I don't know. And yeah. I might not know what I, exactly what I'm doing. Love it, Eric. All right. So let's move into more of the monetization side. And I completely agree with you. I had one client where, you know, we helped him get featured. We got a good amount of downloads and then he's like, man, the retention sucks. So that, that product cycle should have been there from day one. And I don't think smaller developers are thinking about it. So I'm glad you brought it up. All right. So let's move on to the new opportunities with monetization models. You want to talk about a little bit about that? Yeah, sure, man. Um, yeah, I think, uh, you're seeing like, if you looked at the top grossing in, you know, whatever, 2014, 15, I mean, it was games. That's it. And now, I mean, you've started to see like what I called, I wrote an article about like the thawing of the top grossing. Cause you see now, I mean, I can't look now, but I mean, I would assume right (laughs) now top, top number one, top grossing is maybe uh, Tinder or potentially Netflix. Mm -hmm. Um, It's probably a streaming or subscription based or a subscription-based uh, app. I don't think it's a game. On the weekends, usually it's a game, uh, Candy Crush. Uh, but I, I, maybe it's not right now. I don't know. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. But but you've, you've definitely seen that transition away from, you know, the games dominate the top grossing to, like, at any point in time, especially during the week, games may be three or four of the top ten grossing and not even at the very top. Um, so I think a couple of things happened. One, it's, it users became uh, more accustomed and 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 more uh you know acclimatized to this environment of you know having subscriptions with apps um especially since you know you saw a lot of the kind of like big desktop focused companies shift onto mobile and that well it's like they had it okay they have a subscription with the service now it's available on mobile and i do the subscriptions on mobile or just well okay now this just moved on to mobile and so i mean i'm used to doing subscriptions with this company and so then they just became used to doing subscriptions on mobile and, um, you know, uh, more amenable to that. Um, and then also I think it's, it's that live ops focus that's kind of permeated outside of just gaming. Right. So like really running, running an, an app as a service and, you know, providing a service. And so like, if you think about the way you set up your content gates and your content flows around that sort of like regular delivery, then it becomes it becomes easy to institute a, a subscription and, and have people see real value in paying month over month. And I think like, so I've never used Tinder. Uh, you know, I've been with my wife for eight years. So I was met her long before Tinder was popular, I think before it existed. Um, but I've studied Tinder a lot because I think it's, um, you know, they've done a 
tremendous, they've created a tremendous business out of that. And I mean, I think like the way they, the way they kind of re like restructured the monetization of the app is really fantastic. And, and it's obviously, you know, been very good for them, like been very lucrative for them. Um, and then stuff like Netflix, I mean, you just see people consuming content on their mobile devices, um, you know, much as, as way more of a, of a, of a, of a common phenomenon than it was X years ago, just because of the, the, the you know, reduction in the price of mobile data and, you know, the, the, the increase in screen sizes, um, and the, you know, and the pervasiveness of, of mobile now. So, um, it's, it's, you know, th those things have created opportunities for new businesses to emerge on mobile, where I think a lot of people saw that stasis in the mobile app economy as proof that like mobile was kind of over. And to me, it's, it's like, there's sort of like, I, I call this the second mobile wave is all these new businesses that are reaching real scale and, and growing, um, you know, at, you know, tremendously and monetizing via these new monetization, uh, uh, paradigms. The, another thing is just pure advertising-based apps. So you see this in like the hyper-casual gaming space where, I mean, there's no IAPs. Um, or maybe they have like a, a remove ads IAP, but that's like maybe 5% of revenues and the rest of the revenues are driven by ads. Mm. Um, that was something that just was kind of unthinkable maybe three, four years ago because it was kind of thought that like, well, okay, not only would the scale that you need be so massive in order to make any real money, um, but the CPMs just were so low that, you know, it was going to be impossible to build a real big business. And just this week, I mean, you saw two, two companies that specialize in hyper casual games, either raising large rounds or exiting for, you know, significant sums of money. So you saw Voodoo Games raise, uh, 150 million, I think. And, uh, yeah. And, and, uh, Grand Games sold for 250 million. And those two companies specialize. I had no idea. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. And, and I mean, the reason these companies are big is in, you know, both of these companies spend uh, a lot of money on user acquisition. I mean, they, they're able to grow. I mean, the unit economics are such that they're able to grow via paid UA. Um, so, I mean, I think that's that's another interesting um, model that let's see. I mean, maybe non-gaming apps could eventually um, co-opt. I mean, I would be, I think, and I think you're seeing some of the stuff in the video space move that way where like, Hey, there's no, um, there, maybe there's no subscription. It's just pure ad based monetization and the content is just free. We'll see. I mean, that'd be cool. Um, I think there's space for that kind of thing. And you would say that their monetization, like especially the games, is it primarily rewarded video or is it like an even split with other ones? No, I mean, well, okay, the hyper-casual games are where you see the banners, but yeah, it's probably mostly rewarded video or, or just, just straight up interstitial video. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I hate those interstitial videos. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any tips on, let's talk about maybe breaking down those two monetization channels that you just mentioned. Do you have any tips on, okay, Eric, I love it, subscription, content, like, you know, we see HBO Go, Netflix, Hulu, all in the top grossing now. Like, what are some ways that we can get new subscribers? Anything that we should be thinking about? Well, I mean, you need a growth, you need a, a growth strategy. I mean, I think, um, you know, you figure something like, I think Spotify is a great example of this where like they have a, they have a free tier. I mean, it's a premium product. They have a free tier, but it's got ads and they have a non-free tier, but there's like real value beyond just not hearing ads in the non-free tier. I mean, they have, um, you know, you can download music, you can sync multiple devices. And I think that, that, uh, value add 
with the subscription really is what pushes a lot of people over the edge because most people are okay with just, you know, okay, I'll hear ads. Um, but then it's like, okay, well, if I'm on a plane, I can't listen to music, you know, if, or if I'm, you know, outside, you know, if I just don't have, if I don't have Wi-Fi access, I can't listen to music. And it's like, okay, well, I see the value in having the subscription. So I think the value ad has got to be pretty clear and you need, you just, you need a, you need a growth story. I mean, there's gotta be some channel for growth, which is a little bit of chicken in the egg. Cause I mean, you, if you can't figure out the monetization, you can't spend any money to grow. And if you can't spend any money to grow, you probably can't generate enough data to figure out, okay, if the various monetization approaches are working. Um, but I mean, a lot of games are instituting subscriptions now too. So they'll have a lot of games use all three. So like even core games, I mean, they'll have, you know, IAPs, they'll have ads, usually rewarded ads, and then they'll have uh, subscriptions for like the super hardcore, you know, players that, you know, they can get maybe sometimes it's like an annuity. So like every month you get X gems or whatever. Um, so, I mean, you, you, there's no reason that, that you have to only stick to one. I mean, you can incorporate all three. Yeah, I love that. And I, I'm, I'm almost of that type because I'm like, why do you want to just bet your horse on just like one thing, right? Like, hey, make it spread it out so that you can there are going to be a percentage that want to definitely pay. There's going to be a percentage of people that would don't want to pay, but you doesn't mean you can't monetize off of them, especially if you have, you know, scale and growth in it. Yeah. And I mean, the other thing is like, you know, to give, I mean, like balancing a game economy can be very complex and, or the economy for anything. But I mean, at the end of the day, like the stuff that you have, the stuff that you're selling in the app is, is free to make It's yeah. just digital. You can create as many of them as you want. So there's ways to, there's ways to, um, uh, to to introduce users to to these digital products that create tremendous amounts of value for the user, and that you know ends up being creating lots of revenue for you, um, without having to like be um, you know uh, tied into this like very concrete idea of unit value of the, the thing that you're giving away. So like a good example of this and to like strategize the way that you introduce these things to people in such a way that j just results in more, more revenue. So like a lot, some games, you know, and if there's, there actually is like kind of a, a, you know, considered systematic path to monetization, it can be, um, it can just end up being like much more lucrative for the developer. So here's an example, like, you know, let's say a user comes, after some time they haven't made a purchase, well, I could hit them with like a heavily discounted bundle of goods, right? That just kind of introduces them to the idea of the, the value of the IAP stuff, right? So like, let's say, okay, well, I'm kind of on the fence, but hey, I got a huge discount. Well, I'm going to buy it because it's so cheap. I mean, I'm not, I'm not fully on board with like a dollar for this item, but if I get it for 20 cents, you know, hey, I'm willing to try it for 20 cents. Then I, I buy the pack. I'm like, hey, these things are valuable. It actually is worth a dollar. Um, so now I'm sort of on the payer train. Um, another, another way to do this is like with rewarded video being, you know, the reward being some in-app good that actually would have to be purchased otherwise. So I'm not willing to pay. I think it's stupid to pay. I never would buy a virtual good, but actually I get one for free via this rewarded video. And hey, this is actually really useful to me. It, it is worth something. And then I, I become a payer. And then actually um, I pay so much that this, this VIP tier becomes available via subscription. It's like, well, you know what? I'm buying this stuff anyway. Yeah. I might as well get it at a discount every month with a subscription, which is good for the user because they get cheaper stuff like at a discount. And it's good for the, the developer too, because then you have sort of like more consistent revenues, right? I mean, that's like, you know, having like SaaS businesses with like regular recurring revenue. And that's, that's why SaaS is such a powerful business model. 
well, if you've got recurring revenue as a developer, you're kind of like, I'd rather have that than like this sort of like random, you know, probabilistic um, purchasable that maybe they don't buy this month. Right. No, I love that. And I love the step-by-step process because you're kind of guiding the user into that optimal, um, you know, monetization channel. But again, you have to get them to start, try a little bit first. Are there any games doing subscription really well in your eye, Eric? Well, I think our game does subscription really well. It's a legendary game of heroes. Yeah. Um, I think we do it really well. I, there's, I mean, there's, a, I mean, I, I think any, if, if you look now at most uh, mid core and core games, like non-casual games, they'll have like a subscription package. It's just become, it's become really popular and it's also become really attractive to developers because, um, you know, I think two years ago, Google and Apple both announced that they were going to reduce their platform fee to, on subscriptions to 15% after the first year. So if a user's been subscribing for a year, on the 13th subscription payment, the developer keeps um, 85% instead of 70%. So, I mean, then it makes a lot of sense for developers. And, and that was, you know, Apple and Google wanted app developers to move into subscriptions because that's just, it's, it is it's nice to have the recurring revenue. It just generates more money. Right, right. Once you have that base, just keep adding on to that base. It's really easy. Eric, anything I missed that you want to cover? Uh, I mean, no, I think that's that's pretty comprehensive. This was very helpful for me. So thank you so much. You can find more of Eric's work on Mobile Dev Memo. That is the destination that a lot of people go to. They point to it a lot. He's a very well-known guy in the space. And check out his book, Freemium Economics on Amazon. Great book, by the way. Eric, anywhere else you want to send? the user, the listeners? Uh, no, I mean, the book is available for Kindle. It's available for paperback. Um, I got you the know, book. It, no. On Kindle. I <laughs> think I, the first the first time I went on your podcast, that was right after it got right. published. Yeah, that's right. That was, that was four years ago. So. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? <laughs> uh, time flies. So if you got anything out of this, find a way to thank Eric because he's an awesome, awesome dude. Thank you, thank you so much, Eric, for coming on and doing this. Yeah. Cheers. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the App Masters Podcast. For show notes and amazing app marketing content, check out appmasters.co.